0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Computer Business Marketing Show. If you own or work in the IT industry, this is the place to be to learn how to get more clients, keep them happy, and grow your revenue. You can watch, download, and/or subscribe to all show episodes at computerbusinessmarketing.com. You can also catch a live stream on Facebook every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Just be sure to like the Tech Site Builder Facebook page, select the following tab, and then click See First so that. The video will jump to the top of your newsfeed every time we go live into Facebook and uh, we do it every week. We love to uh, have you guys joining us live in Facebook every week. Uh, It's great interaction. It's nice to get to know the listeners of the show. Um, So, you know, if you happen to be just sitting around watching TV or uh, whatever uh, at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time, definitely jump into Facebook and check out the show live it's it's a lot more fun if you do. And uh speaking of having fun, we're going to have fun today and talk about a subject that I think a lot of folks uh are curious about and have expressed an interest in and that is um you know the uh the the legal side of marketing and especially copyright and trademark and you know how how can you include other brand names in your advertising? If you fix Apple computers or if you troubleshoot Microsoft Word, are you allowed to to use their logos? How 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 far can you go over that? We'll also talk a little bit about uh, your own trademarks and copyrights and how you can protect those and how you can uh, you know set yourself up to to be protected and and uh, and not have those infringed. And uh, we're going to jump into all of that in our featured topic. But before we do, just have a couple quick announcements. Uh, and the first is to uh, remind you guys about the Computer Business Marketing Newsletter. That is the newsletter you can get in your inbox every week with different marketing tips and tricks from around the internet, including the latest uh, podcast episode. And, um, you know, any blog posts or anything that we write over at Tech Site Builder. Also, uh, what's going on in the Facebook group, the Computer Business Marketing Facebook group, and some other different tips and tricks that we'll throw in those newsletters. So if you own an IT services business and you uh, are interested in marketing your business, which I hope you are, (laughs) then uh, this would be a great newsletter to check out. So head on over to ComputerBusinessMarketing.com and fill out the form there uh, to get signed up for the Computer Business Marketing Newsletter. Also, don't forget, we love to hear from you guys uh, in the different places where this podcast is available, like iTunes and Stitcher. So uh, if you enjoy the podcast or you've gotten anything out of it, we'd love for you to give us a review. Uh, Just head on over to iTunes or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or wherever you subscribe to this show. Uh, Give us a review there. Give us a shout out. Uh, Every new review we I will read on the air uh, just to give a shout out to the person who reviewed and uh, we haven't gotten a review in a while. So I'd love to hear from you guys if you are enjoying the show. And finally, um, last but not least, want to give a shout out to our sponsor for this episode. And our sponsor is Tech Reputation. Uh, TechReputation.com offers IT business owners a simple and effective way to manage, acquire and market the positive reviews you get online. And we know that reviews are kind of the lifeblood of our of our businesses. Um, a lot of us rely on word of mouth and referrals for uh, our new clients, for our uh, IT services businesses. And when we get someone who is new or has just heard of us who hasn't had an existing relationship with our business, oftentimes they'll go online to look us up, to do some research. I know I do that. If I'm going to hire someone new or use a new service, I'll do a little research online. And you want them to see positive things about you online, positive reviews, all those five-star Google reviews and Facebook reviews, because you don't know where they're going to be looking you up. They might be on Facebook and searching for you on Facebook. They might be going to Google. They might be going to Yelp. So you want to make sure that you're funneling the customers that are having a positive experience with you, funneling them to these different areas where you want to uh, get these reviews going. But if they, if they didn't have a good experience with you, you, you don't want them to leave a bad review for you. You want them to come back to you and, and allow you to fix it for them. So that's kind of what tech reputation does. It allows you to send an email to your clients after you're done servicing them. You And then the email says, Hey, did you have a good experience or, you know, rate your experience with us? If their experience was good, it sends them to, to rate you online. If their experience was bad, It says, how can we make it better? It sends them back to you so you can help fix it. So uh, the the idea there is then they won't end up leaving a bad review. Instead, they'll allow you to, to help them out and get a better review. Another cool thing Tech Reputation does is it allows you to Uh, search online, it kind of aggregates all of the information about your business online. So you can see all of the different places online where your business is being mentioned and make sure that those mentions are accurate, that your address is right, that your phone number is right, and all of that stuff is right. So it's really like a holistic kind of one pane of glass to see how your business is doing, how the reputation is doing, how it looks online, and make sure all of that is kind of under your control so that you're putting the best foot forward for your business. And uh, Tech Reputation is actually uh, generously offering listeners of this podcast 10% off your monthly s- your setup fee and your monthly subscription. All you have to do is go to techreputation.com slash TSB uh, to sign up for that special offer. Again, that's 10% off your setup and monthly subscription fee. Just go to techreputation.com slash TSB to take advantage of that offer. All right. So today uh, I am really excited to have Betty yellow, the founder and CEO of Intellectual Law. It's an intellectual property law practice. And their motto is that they protect people and companies, not just trademarks. And so we're going to kind of get into that in, in part of this interview. But uh, welcome, Betty. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, This, you know, this is uh, an issue that I, I think um, a lot of like, doesn't get discussed enough on podcasts and in, in the forums and stuff. Uh, People kind of don't, don't think about it until it's too late sometimes. (laughs) Uh, And uh, other times, you know, I've, I've had folks uh, in, in like the Facebook group who, um, you know, they're writing blog posts, they're working really hard on these blog posts and then they, they. Get a Google alert or something, and they see that you know their blog post is now appearing on someone else's website. There's no citation. It it appears as though it was like written by that other person, and they're like, "Well, you know that that sucks," yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. um and you know what can I do about it? Uh, so so that's come up. Another question that's come up in the Facebook group also is, you know, when I advertise as a computer business, I fix Apple computers. I fix Microsoft software. Um, I fix, you know, all these different brand name uh, hardware and software components. Um, am I allowed to to mention them by name and advertising? Am I allowed to use their logo? Uh, and how far can I go with that? Uh, so I thought we'd maybe uh, kind of kick things off in, in that direction. But before we do that, actually, why don't you just give us a little quick idea of your background and, and your experience and what brought you to the point now where you're running uh, Intellectual Law?
1: Okay. My background, very, very briefly, uh, before I became an attorney, I was a scientist. I have run practically every pharmaceutical regulatory lab, uh, quality assurance, quality control lab on Long Island between my spouse and myself. We've worked practically for every company on Long Island. Intellectual law is actually on Long Island. We're about an hour outside New York City, which gives us the ability to have a uh, a life outside New York City, but at the same time gives us the opportunity to practice in New York City. Um, my practice is uh, is primarily at the federal level, and uh, most of the courts that I operate in, uh, if not all of them, are federal, but specifically because I'm located on Long Island, I have the ability to litigate And to uh, work with clients who are looking and are interested or defending in both the Eastern District of New York and the Southern District of New York. But as we uh, were talking before we went live, I've actually litigated all over the United States as well as in Europe. We recently just won a huge case in Milan. Um, so as I was saying, I had a background in science. I am a chemist. I have, uh, <laughs> uh, my bachelor's of science in chemistry. I was accepted into the PhD program at Stony Brook university. And eventually in, I decided I wanted to become an attorney. I had, uh, I, I just, I said, you know, this is something I want to do because I wanted to go into business for myself. And back then, you know, a long time ago, over 25 years ago, It seemed like a good idea. (laughs) I will say I have no regrets. It was the right idea for us. I love what I do. I love patents, trademarks, and copyrights. Um, And what what
0: prompted you to get into that side of of the legal field?
1: um, Because of science. In order to Uh. be able to practice patent law, you must have a degree in science You must have a degree in engineering. It's either or. You really cannot practice. There are two specialties that are officially recognized by the United States government in the United States in the area of law. Unlike medicine where people say, oh, I'm a neurologist or I'm a surgeon or I'm an orthopedic doctor. There's so many different specialties in medicine. In law, there are only two, tax law and patent law. We sit as patent attorneys, we sit for the regular bar exam, and we also sit for the patent bar exam. They're directed to two totally different things, um, but you really can't practice patent law unless you have some sort of background in science or in engineering. So it's not unusual if you were to look up the credentials of your patent attorney to actually see that they have some sort of engineering degree, electrical engineering, maybe pharmacy, maybe chemistry, maybe biology. It was a great marriage because I had 10 years of pharmaceutical industry experience. I ran labs. Um, I know A to Z, how to get a product, you know, from raw material to the truck which is waiting to bring it and to supply, you know, the retailer. So uh, I have firsthand experience in that, in, in that area. Um,
0: yeah.
1: So, so I, I got into patent law and patent law is, you know, it's usually the first step for an inventor, right? I have an mm-hmm. idea. I have this concept. I want to reduce it to practice. And typically most inventors build businesses around their inventions and those inventions kind of multiply, right? So the, the the clients themselves kind of push you out to protect them, not just in terms of the invention, but also in terms of everything else that's associated with their business. That's one of the reasons why when we get a client in, we say, okay, what exactly do you want to do? You know, where are you going with this? How do you plan on making money? Does it make sense to file a patent application? Does it make sense to file a trademark application? You know, what kind yeah. of copyright? So, so we have a very unique approach in the way we work with our clients because we, we work with them to help them achieve their objectives, their goals, both personally and professionally. Um, and unless there's clarity in that, there's really no reason for you to invest and put that kind of money. Uh, intellectual property, prosecution, and litigation can be very expensive. So you have to have very, very clear business plans on what you want to do with that.
0: And I think that probably also helps them kind of think through the entire business plan and process in a way that maybe they hadn't before. That is correct. Uh, That is correct.
1: Because they walk in and, you know, the first question is like, I want to file a patent. My answer is, my question to them is, why? (laughs) Why? Yeah. In, right. What do you think you're getting with that? Let me understand why you feel so compelled to file your patent application. Um, and you know, with a lot of questions, you know, if they get a chance to, to ask me, I get a chance to ask them, we are able to really zero in and strategize, put a plan together that makes sense for their particular needs. Sometimes it's not necessary to file. I've had judges. I actually say these sometimes exactly that statement that sometimes I talk people out of filing patents and I've had, I've had both colleagues and, and, and judges who have come back and have said to me, really, you advise people not to file. How do you make money? (laughs) It's like, believe me, there's opportunity for money. Um, You know, it's not about me. It's about my clients and what they need and what they have to achieve.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I think that I think a lot of us can relate to that because we'll have, you know, customers that'll come to us with, uh, what they think might be a, a computer issue. We take a look at it. It's, it's something, it's a quick fix or it's, it's maybe has to do with like their internet service provider or something that's outside of our hands. We'll let them know we're not going to charge them for, you know, just taking up time to to tell them it's a it's a quick fix so i, I hear you have a, yeah, a little fellow back there yeah
1: pushed the door open <laughs> i'm sorry about that i never expected that
0: that's i've i've had my dog uh chime in <laughs> on podcasts in the past so that's no problem
1: i hope your i hope your listeners can appreciate it. at least they know i'm an animal lover <laughs> yes. Yes.
0: Same here. They, they're used to that because okay. mine, mine's All done the same. Right.
1: She, she, you know, she normally doesn't stick it, but for whatever reason, she just <laughs> pushed the door open and it's That's like, funny. Hey, are you paying attention to it? They have no
0: sense of, of what's <laughs> going on other than where's my owner.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So uh, let's get into uh, the first question I had, which was um, as computer business owners, we often, you know, work with a lot of different brand name components and, uh, we want to sell the fact that we are specialists in, you know, these certain different types of computers and brand names. Uh, and, uh, and so what, what do we want to start thinking about as far as how can we use those brand names and or logos in our advertisements?
1: The, the short, short version, the short, short answer to the question of, can I use another company's logo if I'm fixing their equipment? The answer is yes, you can, okay. so long as the consumer who lands on your website or lands on your mar- marketing material is not confused to believe that somehow you're either affiliated by the, with the manufacturer or your services have been approved by the manufacturer Or somehow you have a green light from the manufacturer to represent to the world that you are the manufacturer or that you're acting as an agent. There is something called the fair use doctrine. And it basically says if you use it for the purpose of informing the consumer about something in connection with your services, then you can actually uh, go ahead and use it. And and I'm talking very much in the abstract right now because I don't have something to look at. The right thing to do, because this obviously is not full legal advice, it's just simply giving you some sense of comfort that this is something that can be done so long as it's done correctly, right? The right thing to do is actually have an attorney look it over, you know, very briefly how it's being used so that you can get an opinion, an, an actual legal opinion from someone who's an expert in this area. To uh, whether you can or cannot do it. But let me give you a couple of examples.
0: Sure.
1: Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers is very well known among diet uh, dieters for their point system. Right? So when you right. pick up, for example, a Weight Watcher's meal, you will see on it two points, three points, five points. These points are supposed to be used as part of your diet plan if you're on the Weight Watchers program. A long time ago. Lean Cuisine started marketing on their packaging on the side panel. So anyone who's familiar with, you know, frozen foods, you're going to see that basically the boxes are thin, long, narrow, or wide, but on the face, on the wide side of the face, you see the trademark, you see the information, the marketing, the branding, pictures of what is usually in the box. And the side panels of the box, which tend to be very small, usually white, have all kinds of information, right? Like, for example, who the manufacturer is, what is the nutritional value on the side of the panel, how to warm it up. Sometimes it's on the back, sometimes it's on the side panel. So Lean Cuisine decides that they're going to go ahead and they're going to put on the side panel, not where the trademark is for Lean Cuisine, but right on the side, In very, very tiny little black letters, you know, where you have to really squint to to actually see them, that their particular meal is, let's say, six points. Weight Watchers sued Lean Cuisine and said, you know, you're using my trademark in a manner that is unfair. It's unfair competition. It's trademark infringement. You can't use my trademark.
0: Because I I guess because Weight Watchers also had their own meals. And maybe they were feeling that. Of course.
1: Of course. So the judge comes back and says, no, no, no. Mm -mm. So long as you use the trademark for purely informational purposes, that is, quote unquote, Mm. fair use. And therefore, it is doable. So, um, um, you know, if you're, for example, a a repair shop and you're fixing Rolls Royce cars, you know, so long as you're saying, I'm a repair shop and I fix cars. Cars, you know, Rolls Royce cars or Bentley's or whatever it is. So long as you make it clear in your advertising, in your marketing, in your website, that this is who you are and this is what you do, you have every right to do that. But again, you know, the facts can vary. Typically, when I get a question like, can I do this? The first thing I ask is, who are you? What do you do? How do you do this? And can I see what it is that you're doing? Because I have to see it with my own eyes to see exactly how it would appear to a consumer. So to your friend who's fixing Apple's comu- Apple computers, by all means, he can say, my name is, you know, John Smith, and this is where I'm located. And I fix all kinds of computers. And one of the computers I fix are, you know, is an Apple right. computer. Feel free to call me to let me know.
0: So I feel I feel like maybe you know it, uh, you'd be getting into more dangerous territory if, for example, your advertisement was nothing but the Apple logo and 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 that was it. If there wasn't anything saying, "Hey, you know this is ABC Computer Repair," I, I I'm I, the way I'm hearing it is the more information you can give about you actually being a repair company and these are things that you repair, not necessarily making it seem like you are Apple. Or you are whatever, um, Rolls Rolls Royce or whatever.
1: I have seen some sites where they say, our partners are, right? Mm. And then they stream, you know, Apple, IBM, whatever it is. Well, by golly, if you're not really a partner with that Mm. company and you're saying my partners are, you're now creating a stronger association, right, between you and the company that you claim you're a partner with. that could prove very problematic if, in fact, the company that you're claiming you're a partner with is not your partner or has not officially authorized you. Um, so, so you, you got to be – I've seen that, and I've, I personally find it extremely problematic. Um, and, and, you know, if this mm. was my client, I would strongly advise against it. I would never say to him, you know, go ahead and do it. Now, here's the flip side on it, Right many of the utility companies actually strike agreements with, let's say we're talking about the installation of gas. And you have plumbers who do you know, HVAC work. And these plumbers have been officially recognized by the local utility company as their agent for the purpose of installing a hot water heater. In that case, so long as the contract permits them They can, in fact, represent that they're an affiliate or a, you know, recognized uh, representative of the company. And and, and there's language, actually, that the utility companies provide to these installers so that people know that they're working with someone who's an actual accredited installer of the utility, as opposed to, even though they're independent companies, right? They're independent business people. But at least... The consumer now has confidence that that person who's going to install the hot water heater is going to do it in accordance with the standards of the utility
0: company. And there are similar things in in technology, too. You can be an Apple-certified repair partner, a Microsoft-certified partner, and so... So in those cases, you could say we're a partner with oh, these companies.
1: absolutely. Absolutely. There, I would tout it. Like, right. know, letters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> certified, <laughs> certified right. you know, certified installer or certified in repair or whatever the language is, you know, put it in the biggest letters you can get right on there. So that it pops right off the screen.
0: Now, now, something I've always wondered is if I am going to, you know, use like another company's logo in my advertisement to say I repair these types of computers, uh, do I need to make sure I'm using like their official logo? Am I able to change the colors of the logo to fit my advertisement copy? What are some things I need to keep in mind in, in that regard?
1: That's actually an excellent question. Um, you know, and that's a question, again, that I would have to answer on a case-by-case basis. I'm sure you've heard that statement. You know, it, it really depends on how it's used. If, if you're just writing in black text and, you know, there's just no room where to put the, the logo, you know, and you're simply providing information, you could just put, you know, the logo with a little R next to it. I mean, there's ways to do it. But it's, again, something that would have to be evaluated. Suffice it to say, here's the thing. In trademark law, here's the, and, and this is what's really fun about trademarks and why I love them so much. Trademarks are kind of that area of intellectual property law, which is kind of common sense. The, cons- the, the courts and the United States Trademark Office, all they are concerned is, are you confusing consumers about the source of your services? Are you confusing consumers about the origins of your products? Is the consumer confused into thinking that you are in fact this other company and they're making a commercial decision to purchase your service because they think that it's affiliated with another company? So look at your materials. Look at it. Put yourself in the shoes of the consumer who's going to see the materials. Judge it. Would you be confused into thinking that your materials or your services were affiliated with somebody else? If the answer is yes, you've come too close, right? We all have that little voice in the bottom (laughs) of our gut that kind of tells us, eh, you're getting a little too close here, you know? So, so. so,
0: Kind of what I'm, what I'm taking away from this so far is that none of this is really black and white. Like you, you have to do this or you can't ever do this. There's. It's, it's really you have to kind of use, like you said, common sense and put yourself in the shoes of the consumer and, and kind of use your best judgment.
1: You're absolutely right. That's the best. That, that is, in fact, true. When I first started practicing law back in 1994, I had a partner at the time and a, a teacher who eventually became a partner, uh, a, a, a senior attorney. And he said to me, he goes, what do you think the judges do? You know, when the plaintiff and the defendant shows up in court, what do you think they do? They look at the thing. They look at it. And if they're confused, (laughs) if the judge is confused, he's going to go in the back room and find the case that supports his position that he's confused. Hmm. Right? Gotcha. Very, very fluid. Very, um, very, very gray area. Very difficult. That's why the best thing you could do, you know, if you have a question and you want to bring it to the attention of an attorney is, actually show them the thing. Right. You
0: know. (laughs) That's a concept, huh?
1: (laughs) (laughs) The stuff, the thingy majiggy, the (laughs) whatchamacallit, right? (laughs) Actually show it.
0: Okay. So um let's kind of flip it around then. Uh, as a as a business owner, we have our business name. We have, you know, probably a logo that goes along with our business. Um what and I've actually seen this happen in in our group as well. You know, there's been a local community a computer business and a lot of them have very similar names like the computer guy or the computer doctor or something like that. And then along comes another business that has, you know, almost the same name, except it's the computer doctor instead of computer doctor. And the logo is very similar. Um, What can we do to, um, to, you know, do we need to like trademark our, our name? What are some things we can do to help protect ourselves so that if someone does come along and either rip us off or try to get very close that we could prevent that from happening.
1: The answer to your question is where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) I actually teach uh, a course in Hofstra law. um, And that actually takes three lectures, you know, to, (laughs) I know. know it's very hard for me in, in the time span, but let me, let me just reduce it. Okay. So, You're a new computer person. You want to go out into the world. You want to start up your business. You have this great name. Typically, what I have found with my clients is the first thing they do is they check to see if the domain name is available, right? You know, they go to the various... (laughs)
0: Because that's easy, right? You can just look it up.
1: Oh, Let's look up the domain name. Oh, it's available. And the first thing they do is they get so excited (laughs) 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 and they go out and they buy it, right? Yep. And because it's available, they think, okay, that's good enough. Nobody has it. I can actually use it and start promoting my business. So here's point number one that everybody needs to remember. Domain names are not intellectual property. There is a ton of case law that has litigated this thing ad nauseum. The bottom line is you have to think of the domain name like a telephone number. Okay. Okay. Just like a telephone number is owned by a telephone company. And when you ask for a telephone number, they assign it to you and you pay for it and you can lose it at any time that you don't pay your bill. The domain name is exactly the same thing. It is a gate. It is, it, it, you know, anyone who looks up their domain name, you'll see that there's a bunch of numbers behind it. And that number allows you to access the wide world, the wide world, the wide web world. Out there, right? <laughs> www. Yep. Wide World Web. There, I got it out. So, so it. So here's what it is: If you purchase a domain name just because it's available, just because you got this number, doesn't mean you can, in fact, use it in connection with your business and your services. There might very well be somebody else out there who may have. The article von Brand, like like the computer doctor, right? Yep. Computerdoctor.com is available. Thecomputerdoctor.com is not. So you say, oh great! I can just get computer doctor, and I can get on the internet and start marketing my services. Now the question is, who came first? Did you come first, or the other person came first? So so if he came first and he registered his trademark and he cleared it so that he has clear title to his trademark and his domain name, which is associated with his business, he has the ability to stop you. So domain names, clearing a domain name does not mean you have a green light to use the domain name as a trademark in connection with your business.
0: So here's a quick related question. What if I um am... Uh, the computer doctor in a town across the country uh, who would never do business in that town. Can I use that same name to do business in my town? That's, you know, across the country.
1: It depends is the answer. It really depends on how you're advertising. It depends on whether you're creating consumer confusion. It depends if the computer guy in one town is so famous that his fame has spread to the other town. And when the guy in the other town sees the computer guy, you know, let's say this is a perfect example of a case that came out in the 1990s. And it had to do with a wine bar. There was a guy in New York who came up with a brand new concept for the marketing of wine. And what he decided, instead of calling it Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, um, uh, Cabernet, Pinot Noir, Shiraz, Syrah, Petit Syrah, and so on and so forth. People really don't understand what those names really mean, right? You know, all they, all they try, it, they see white, they <laughs> see red, they see yep. rosé, they, they say sweet, ooh, I like sweet wines, you know. So, so most people are not wine connoisseurs. They will go in and say, give me a white, give me a red, you know, and then they'll say, you know chardonnay or pinot grigio and they're like what's the difference right just give me a white wine yeah so this guy had come up with a brand new way of making wine accessible and his bar was set up in a certain way his shelves were set it was very 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 characteristic and he was in new york city some guy visited his bar decides he's going to go to washington dc and set up a bar that was identical to the one in new york but here's the thing. Most people who work in New York also travel to Washington. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so one of his clients, <laughs> one of his customers comes back to New York, to the guy in New York, and says to him, Hey, Joe, lucky guy, I guess you're making good money. I, uh, you, you, I was in your bar down right. in Washington.
0: <laughs> you're expanding. <laughs> you're yeah.
1: expanding. And the guy in New York goes, what are you talking about? I have not expanded in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? I walked in the other day. I had a great white wine. You know, I was collecting to see you there. Right. Fast forward. The guy in New York sues the guy in Washington, D.C., and wins. He actually won. No trademarks. It was all under the Lanham Act 15 U.S.C. section 1125A, which is unfair competition, which is very similar to trademark infringement The difference being that when you have an actual trademark that has been registered and one, you don't have a registered trademark, you have a few obstacles that you need to overcome from an evidentiary standpoint, but you can prevail even in the absence of a registration. Interesting. Okay.
0: That's that's kind of, you know, uh, good to know or a a little bit of relief, meaning that if you establish a business and you establish, you know, a brand... You don't necessarily need to worry about having, like, gotten a trademark back when you first started. If, you know, it's it's a, an established brand and then some new person comes along and tries to rip you off, you still might have, uh, you know, a, a standing because you had been established, even if you don't have the legal documentation or whatever required, but- Right
1: the conversation we're having should not be viewed as a license to go out and start using your trademark and not register it. There are many, many, many benefits of having a trademark registration. Having said that, however, the answer is yes. If you know, and usually that works when you're working in a very close geographic location, right? Because, Mm -hmm. because one of the, one of the um, burdens as, as the senior owner, the guy who came first, right? One of the burdens that the senior owner has to show is that the consumer is, in fact, confused. And the only way that the consumer is confused is if they know the senior owner. They know the uh, trademark. They've been exposed right. to it. There's been advertising and marketing. When you have a registered trademark, you don't have to do as much proving of right. you know, knowledge because it's presumed you have a valid trademark And that it needs to be protected. The one thing that I will caution that everybody makes a mistake when starting up, when you decide to adopt a word, a trademark, you have got to search it. (coughs) Excuse me. Securing a domain name is not a trademark search. Right. Getting incorporated in your respective states is not a trademark search. Okay you must do a trademark search it is the best thing that you can do for your company rights to trademarks come from use whoever gets the trademark first owns the trademark
0: now where where can we where can we do that search is that something we can do ourselves or do we have to Go to a, an attorney. to do that,
1: that is an excellent question. There are services that are providing on the internet that do provide searches. The problem is that the way they're being marketed can be confusing. They give the impression, for example, that simply doing a search on the United States Trademark Office website is enough. It is not. Mm, okay. okay? Why? Because there are people who may have registered on the federal government or they may have not. But they're still using the trademark. They've still adopted it and used it and advertised and marketed and therefore can stop you even though they're not registered in the United States patent and trademark office. Interesting. The other thing with trademark law is it belongs both to the federal government and the state government. Hmm. What that means is that every state in the union has its own trademark database. So you go to the PTO, you do a trademark search, you say, ah, it's available because the PTO said so. But then lo and behold, there's some guy, you know, in in the backyard of your state that actually filed with his or her trademark with the trademark office of the state and now has a registration, which is local. It doesn't have as broad a scope of protection as something that's registered on the federal government database, but it's still protected within the state, which is in fact registered. Trademarks right. are territorial. I'm throwing a lot of concepts in very quickly. Yep.
0: But it's it's good to know that this is not as simple as just you know it's doing not. a quick like you said domain search or no, trademark national trademark. The other search.
1: thing that we do in our office because we know all the pitfalls. Let me just put it to you this way. I have a 100% clearance. I have never had my trademarks when I search them. And I say that with great pride. And I know some of your audience might scoff a little bit. Yeah, right. She's full of it. But the reality is the way we do our trademark searches, we are so thorough because when I walk into court on behalf of my my client's trademarks, I own those trademarks, if you understand Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. So what we do is we also do international searching. The mm-hmm. reason we do international is we have discovered that people who have filed in their respective countries actually do business in the United States. right? But they don't register in the United States. So long as they were here first and ahead of you, and so long as they've been using and advertising the trademark in the United States, and they're ahead of you, they will stop you from getting a trademark. Yikes. Okay? Wow. when When someone comes in, we always recommend a full trademark search, which includes United States Patent and Trademark Office, every state of the union, every country out there. We pay for a database that we access that gives us the ability to get into every country in the world, Canada, Italy, Spain, And then we do what we call a common law search. Rights to trademarks come from use. The rights to trademarks come from use in the market. They're not constitutional rights. They're rights that historically, over the years, we've decided that we're going to give to people because they work it, they sweat it, they pour blood into it, they advertise, they do their stuff. You know, it's like getting a piece of land from the wild if you go out and cut down the trees and put a fence around it and you start cultivating it, the next guy who comes along can't take your land away because he has clear indicia that this belongs to somebody. It didn't belong mm. to somebody. It wouldn't have corn growing on it, right?
0: <laughs> right, right, anyway,
1: right. So that's the concept behind tree Yep,
0: Market. that makes sense.
1: That's the concept. So, so what we do is, because we know how business people operate, and now with the internet, it's even worse. It's even worse because you could have... Products and goods that are, you know, registered in the Ukraine but sold through Amazon in the United States. And, and so that that uh, supplier, that vendor, is using the trademark in the United States. So he develops a goodwill associated with his product simply by using it and reaching out into consumers into the United States. So we do a common law search. There are special databases that are... databases that are provided, that simply have brands in them that we look Mm. up. There's a lot of different ways that we do it so that we have a a level of comfort that our client is not going to get themselves in trouble. The way to view a trademark, just in closing, because we can talk about it all night long, (laughs) the way to view a trademark search is a risk assessment tool. Think of it from that perspective. Um, then, then you understand what we're trying to do. We're trying to assess the odds that if you start using the trademark, you're, you know what are the odds that you're going to receive a cease and desist letter? That's right. one set of odds. The other set of odds is what are the odds, if you want to register with the federal government, that your registration is going to go through slam dunk? Those are the two two different odds that we evaluate.
0: Isn't there also a component of, you know, the industry they're in? So if I have a computer Absolutely. repair business.
1: Absolutely. And then, Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're, if you're looking to adopt a trademark in food, uh, I'm not going to look at tires, right? Right. <laughs> but if I'm looking at clothing, that's an interesting thing because I put myself in the shoes of the consumer. Someone who's going to buy a coat, a jacket, pair of socks they're also going to buy shoes they're going to buy belts they're going to buy bags they're going to buy hats and they're going to buy perfume Hmm. right so there you're not just looking at goods that are identical you're also looking at goods that relate that can relate right because the consumer sees the whole picture right so it's all about the consumer
0: all right because if if i go to the store and i see a nike belt I assume that's the same company that makes the shoes. So I can't right. start a b- belt company called Nike. <laughs> All right. I, was, exactly. Right.
1: Exactly. Because it's pretty, pretty, the odds are pretty high that Nike, even if they're not making the belts themselves, probably license that right out to someone. And right. because of the license, they are policing the use of the trademark. They are making sure that that belt that has the term Nike on it performs and has the same quality and the same performance as what people have come to expect with the Nike trademark. So, So when you buy a Nike belt, you know that Nike belt is going to behave as well as your Nike shoes or your Nike shirt or your Nike jacket.
0: This this is this is all really interesting, and like you said, this we could talk about this all night because there's so many different little little components to dig into. Um, But I I did I did want to cover one more thing really quick uh, on the show while I have you, Um, and that is uh, the DMCA and uh, basically you know content that we produce online. Um, How 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 can we protect that and and what rights do we have as far as, uh, and, and I'm mainly thinking, you know, as, uh, as computer business owners, we often like produce blog content, uh, that we try to educate our our customers and show our value and, and show our, our expertise. And so we'll, we we'll write a blog post, we'll put it out on the internet. And then, you know, a, a couple of weeks later, we'll see someone else using that exact same blog post word for word. Um, is there anything we can do about that? How can we protect ourselves from that? And and what does that all mean?
1: So let's shift gears because we just went from trademark. It is a
0: big shift.
1: Yeah. (laughs) To copyright law, right? Uh, Intellectual property really has five categories of law buried into it. So if, if your patent attorney or your trademark attorney behaves in a slightly elitist manner, uh, he has good reason. You know, we, we work with five, six different laws and, and, And and when I mean laws, I don't mean, you know, five sentences. I'm talking bodies of law and the standards for everything is different. So the DMCA, which is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, is really a subsection of the copyright laws of the United States, which are all embodied in a huge title, which is Title 17. Trademarks are Title 15. Patents are Title 35. So the copyright laws of the United States specifically define what is copyrightable and what is not. And there's a lot of requirements that have to be met. Before I get into the DMCA, there's one pet peeve I have with most business owners. Um, And it's really not their fault. It's rather the fault of those who have disseminated a lot of misinformation in connection with copyrights. One of the things that I get a lot from clients is do I have to file a copyright?
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> do I have I to hope file not. a
1: copyright? <laughs> uh, can I just take my work, put it in an envelope and we'll open, mail it to myself? Something that's commonly not <laughs> Yep. Before. I've heard that. Copyright, yeah. Right. And the answer is no, you have to file a copyright. You must have a copyright certificate showing that your copyright work is registered. Hmm. All those of you that have websites, (laughs) databases, blogs, there is a way that you can actually file for the copyright of your website. It's very, very important to understand that a copyright certificate that that proves that your work has been registered with a copyright office is an Absolute necessity if you're going to sue somebody or if you're going to go after them for infringement. The law has shifted a little bit. It used to be back in the old days when I started practicing in the 90s, it used to be that it was what's called an absolute jurisdictional requirement. In other words, you couldn't even get through the door of the courthouse without a copyright certificate. Wow. That is, it it blows my mind that more people don't know about it. And it really upsets me because I can't tell you how many times I've had people come in looking to go after infringers, unable to go after the infringers because they didn't have a copyright certificate. It is inexpensive. It is the least expensive investment for intellectual property that you can make. Patents cost a ton of money trademarks less copyrights are the least expensive
0: and you said you can you can get a, a copyright certificate for the website as a whole or yes, do you need to do as it a every
1: whole there okay. are rules you know if you have a book the, the way you file a copyright for a book is different from the copyright for a painting it's different for right. the copyright of a three-dimensional sculpture There are ways of filing for your website, your blog, so that all the content is protected. Because what happens is it falls into that category of a live work because it's constantly being updated, right? So the copyright office doesn't expect you every time you upload another blog to be filing a copyright. But they understand that you're going to have material that's going to be going up. There's, you know, you got to read the rules and you got to find someone who knows how to do it. We can help you do it if it's necessary, but you can do it yourself. It's inexpensive. The filing fees are not expensive. Please, whatever you do, get your copyrights in order. Now, you should be asking why. Why? Because A, it's the passport to the courthouse in the event you ever have to sue. B, it provides for statutory damages. Uh. So if you sue somebody, right, you want to collect something for the pain and aggravation that you have gotten. If you don't have a copyright registration, ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you, you're not going to get anything to borrow from my my former partner. You're going to get (laughs) bumpkits. Here's the problem. If you're going to get damages, you have to show that there is a nexus. There's a connection, if you would between the act of the infringement and the money you have lost. That is a huge burden to prove. You have to hire experts, the whole nine yards. On the other hand, if you have a copyright certificate that issued within the first three months of when your blog went live, you will be entitled to statutory damages. In Mm. other words, that statute says you don't have to prove anything. Here it is.
0: Nice.
1: Bad faith. If that other person acted in a manner that is adjudged to be bad faith, you're entitled to $150,000.
0: So I can imagine that would save you a lot of legal fees and in trying to, well, it would to prove even, that it would
1: even encourage an attorney to take it on a contingency fee right because hmm. now it's guaranteed if you can show right. that it's if you can show you have a copyright if you can show that it's a valid copyright if you can show that the defendant had access to your copyrighted works now you can actually collect damages and you can actually go after them Here's the third reason why besides the statutory damages The key to the courthouse, the last is the DMCA. You have a copyright registration and somebody takes your blog material and puts it on their website. You have the ability to send a digital Millennium Copyright Act notice to either the person who's hosting the website, to the person who's actually managing the website to Google, to Amazon, wherever it might be, and they will take it down faster than your head can get faster than your eyes can close.
0: And I, I've seen that too. Like I've when you I've look at search it. results, you'll see like
1: I've done it. You
0: know, this this article removed because of the MCA.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Now, here's what happens. If the other person comes back and challenges the notice, you have an obligation to sue. Hmm. Okay. If you don't sue, you don't bring a cause of action in court. That DMCA is no longer going to be in effect. And that article is going to go back up. Okay. Gotcha. But when you have a copyright certificate, what's the other person going to do? They're really going to challenge you. Right. Absolutely not. We've had, and, and here's another reason why not only do you want a copyright certificate, you also want to register your trademark. Because when you go, let's say, to Facebook, let's say you find someone who's, who's using your trademark in connection with their services, and they're on Facebook. Facebook has terms and conditions. If you notify them that somebody is using your trademark or a trademark that's confusingly similar to yours without your authorization. And you actually have a trademark registration number or you have a copyright certificate number. Facebook will take them down within 24 hours.
0: Nice. Yeah. You have that that backup of the
1: the legal document. and, And you don't pay a thing. You don't even have to hire a lawyer if you have all these things in place. Right. You go into Facebook. You go into Amazon. You go into Google. You follow their directions, you fill out your complaint. you put your copyright certificate, you put your trademark registration certificate, the number, bang, you're done.
0: Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Uh, like I said, we could get into this and go all night with it because I have so many more questions and uh, so I think probably what we'll do is is in the future, if you'd like to come back on to dig into maybe one of these topics a little more um, more deeply. We'd love to have you back. Um, and, and I love your it's
1: completely up to you and completely at, uh, up to your audience. <laughs> if your audience wants me back. Let them know you know let them I, I urge them to contact you and let you know.
0: Because like you said, we hear uh, rumors and stuff about this or it's hearsay or I heard my friend say this or whatever. So it's great to hear from you know someone who does this for a living what what the actual um, you know uh, what what is actually good practice and, uh, and, you know, speak from experience and use examples and, and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it's been wonderful. Um, and, uh, I, I think we will have you back <laughs> and, uh, and, um, I, I love your passion about it as well. And that definitely comes through. I with, love to, uh, I
1: love what I do and I love helping my clients and I hate bullies. And it's <laughs> some, some people use their intellectual property in a manner that goes beyond the rights afforded to them by the law.
0: Mm, right.
1: You know, one thing, for example, we didn't touch at all on is cease and desist letters. You know, I've had right. clients that get cease and desist letters and the first thing they do is they take it down, you know, whatever it is that is being complained about. And the first question is, how do, how do you even know that this person has the rights they claim they have?
0: Right. It's easy to send a letter. It doesn't mean it's, it Absolutely. has any merit.
1: Absolutely. I've had, you know, there's so many nuances, especially from a business standpoint, right? You right. Know, um, some people have copyrights. I, we we litigated a case on behalf of a client who got served with a DMCA. The DMCA did have copyright certificates. I took one look at the copyright certificates, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He's laying a claim to something that is totally functional in nature. This copyright is not mm. worth the paper it's written on. So what we did was not only did we notify Google, but we actually went in and filed what's called the declaratory judgment for non-infringement of copyright. And we got the copyright declared invalid and unenforceable.
0: Nice. So
1: just because you get yep. a cease and desist letter, right? Doesn't mean that that's it. You're done. No.
0: Sounds like even if, even if they have a copyright certificate, doesn't mean it's valid. necessarily right. valid. Yeah. So,
1: so okay. you know, as a business person, there's so many different nuances that go on. And, you know, like I said to you right at the outset, we are in the business of protecting businesses, entities, people, um, and help them achieve their quality of life, um, and income. And in, you know they go hand in hand. And and you've got wow. to know how to be able to move through the jungle of oh, as I as I love. And it is a
0: jungle. <laughs> right. Well, great, Betty. Thanks. Thanks for all this great information. I think uh, I learned a lot actually, and I hope uh, the list, the listeners and uh, viewers did as well. If folks wanted to reach out to you, maybe you know get some. Uh, hire you for some legal advice or, or, uh, you know, find out more about you, where can they find you?
1: Well, um, they can, they can literally Google my name, Betty. It'll come right up or they can Google intellectual law. Um, You know, if they look for um, a patent, trademark and copyright attorney, Long Island, right there, we have five stars. Um, You know, the name of the firm is intellectual law. I N T E L L E. C-T-U-L-A-W, <HARRT> C-T-U-L-A-W- w- 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 Intellectualaw.com. We took it and we'll go ahead and
0: uh, put those links in the show notes as well. So people, can I'm on just Twitter. Head over. You can
1: do at Intellectualaw. We're on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn, uh, we're on Facebook. Um, you know, we're all over so the So, in полез- other
0: words, you're not hard to find.
1: <laughs> no, no, if you know, if you if you know how to spell, even if you don't know how to spell my last name, you'll find me, you know, okay, put patent. Great. Trademark attorney Long Island, we come right up. We have five stars on Google. Um, You know, one of the problems with attorneys in New York is if you have active clients, those clients cannot give you testimonials. And uh, so it's hard for me to get testimonials from clients that are current because I don't lose clients either.
0: Right. Interesting. That's like a, a catch so, 22 yeah, there. Yeah. People
1: say, you know, Oh, you only have five reviews. I'm like, you know how difficult it was <laughs> to get those five reviews.
0: Oh uh, yeah. That's funny.
1: <laughs> so, but we do have great. Well, I,
0: yep. And I, I think just from, from hearing you talk, you, you definitely know what you're talking about. You have a passion for it. And, uh, and, um, so yeah, great. Uh, I think we'll get some some good feedback on this show. So, Betty, thanks for being a guest You're and welcome. we'll talk soon. Thank
1: you. Thank you very much for having me. It was a real pleasure meeting everybody. I look forward to seeing you again soon.
0: All right, guys. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode of the Computer Business Marketing Show. Uh, if you want to keep the conversation going, let us know what you thought about the show. Head on over to ComputerBusinessMarketing.com. There you can find uh, the show notes page for this episode where we'll have links to all the different things we talked about, as well as a place where you can leave comments about the show. Let us know what you thought. Let us know uh, if you have any further questions and uh, what you'd like to hear in future episodes. Also, don't forget to join us in the Facebook group. We have the Computer Business Marketing group on Facebook where you can join and talk with other computer business owners about different marketing topics and marketing struggles and marketing questions. Got lots of great uh, info going on in there. And last but not least, don't forget to check out our sponsor, and that is TechReputation at techreputation.com. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Computer Business Marketing Show. My name is Matthew Rodella saying, here's to your success.